Is there an, is it in reviews? Do we have a quick, easy link to AP's logo? There it is, I see it. Never mind, I got it. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, Pixel Watch 2 is nearing completion. We are seeing leak upon leak of what I think is actually going to be the more exciting product to come out of the Pixel October event. And that's unfortunately not saying much, but we're going to dive into everything we know about the Pixel Watch 2. Uh, Ara has also reviewed the Galaxy Watch 6. We now have both Watch 6 and 6 Classic reviews up on the site. And then there are a bunch of Google product news that we'll get through. And then finally, we will talk about the new Xiaomi Mi Mix Fold 3, which got announced for the Chinese market earlier this week. One of the most, I would say, beautiful pieces of Android hardware to come out in recent memory. Yeah, I played with the Mi Mix Fold 2 briefly. It is just a better piece of hardware than the Galaxy Z Fold 4 by a mile. And I would, even though I haven't used this one, I would say that it surpasses the Z Fold 5 uh, in many ways as well. So we'll get into that. Our friend Benson, who works over at XDA, has also gone hands-on with this thing. So it's quite a quite an interesting piece of hardware. So first, introducing the co-host, our Wagner, Will Saddleberg. How are you doing on this fine Friday? I need a nap. Anybody else? <laughs> it's a sleepy yes. day. We were talking about it. It's a it's a sleepy day. I'm holding it together briefly with a cup of I have a an AeroPress Go. And if anybody knows anything about AeroPress, they know that the regular AeroPress does not make a ton of coffee on its own. The AeroPress Go makes even less. It makes around 200 milliliters. So I find myself needing more than I usually had. And I, yeah, I'm staring at this cup that's already half empty, feeling dejected. So we're, we're going to gonna have to pick things up here. Yeah, I'm regretting not bringing some chocolate in here in addition to the Coke can that is now like over half empty. Is your chocolate infused with additional caffeine or are you just taking what it gives you? I'm just taking what it gives me. But I mean, yeah. I, I I podcast in a dark closet, so for me, it's also just a matter of it, it's dark enough, and my body is like it's nap it's nap time, it's the end of the week, it's it's time to rest. It's so so perfect outside here. I'm actually visiting friends in Ottawa this week, and it's like, I mean, I'm I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Celsius on you folks for a second, so like get your AI oh translators going for a sec. But it's like 22 degrees. There's a nice breeze going. 71.6 quiet outside. degrees Fahrenheit for, uh, for people Thank who you. like using the scale that's good for weather. Uh, Thank you, hey, I will. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, did you guys hear the story of how Microsoft issued a travel guide for Ottawa and accidentally and, and like used AI to generate the travel guide and accidentally said that it should go to a food bank on an empty stomach? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> What? Yeah, not a well, not a great look for uh, old Bing Bing AI there. Yeah, yeah, not great, not great. Anyway, all right, so we're gonna dive right in to all of these Pixel Watch two leaks. The first one is just the one that we didn't understand when it came out, but then like it, it takes a little bit of context. The metal band that we never really received, or we did get a metal band for the Pixel Watch, right? But it was like. Yeah, it, months, we, we it have it. It's, later. it's just late and it's, you know. It was the really It's 200 mid, days it late like and $100 too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, presumably it will still be overpriced, but the Pixel Watch 2 will likely have a metal band as part of its many options. It has a proprietary latching mechanism. We talked about this in a previous show. The Samsung did it right, you know. They still have standard lugs. Now they have a quick release mechanism for their own bands that I think rival anything any other company has done, including Apple. But this this will probably continue to be an expensive and limited availability option for Pixel Watch owners. Can I say um, the Apple Watch that I have lying around, the bottom quick release button completely doesn't work anymore. You push it, it doesn't move. It's like locked in place. Like on the actual watch? Yeah, yeah. If I tried to take the band, it, the band doesn't come off anymore. It's just locked in. That's amazing. Uh, what, I don't know if this is... What series is it? Five? Well, it's not even that old. It's it's three... It's a little over three years old. Like, oh, that's, well, okay, that's like, exactly I think the, the right amount of time that Apple 
yeah. has its product stop working on you. So yeah, yeah. That, that tracks. Well, but I mean, there's an event in a couple of weeks. They're, they're like, wouldn't you love to grab a new, a shiny new series nine that all the rumors indicate are, is like mm. a mild spec bump and nothing else. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I had a, I was in the Valnet offices this week and a couple of the folks there wear an Apple watch ultra. And I started looking on, you know, the Canadian equivalent of Craigslist. Uh, there is Craigslist in Canada, but it's just as sketchy as, as it is in the U.S. to see how much an, a, a used Apple Watch Ultra would be. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, man. I, I like that thing. Oh, the man. screen is <laughs> out of control. It is so nice. It's just so big. It's just so big. I know. It is. It's massive. Well, for the screen, is it a matter of resolution or is it just that it's so bright? It's a bright, sharp OLED display, like one of the nicest smartwatch screens I've ever seen. Yeah, because I mean, the $300 Galaxy Watch 6 gets as bright as the Apple Watch Ultra, but I don't think it's quite as sharp a screen. No, I don't think so. But I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Mm. So let's go back to the Pixel Watch 2. All right. So we have (laughs) a fairly robust spec list that we can go by, given that this was pulled directly from the Google Play console. Nothing particularly new here, but it does confirm a few things. Two gigabytes of RAM, Wear OS 4, Qualcomm. SOC, similar or identical screen resolution and density. I mean, that's basically it, right? So it just confirms what we've already known. What we don't know is if the screen will be better because it's presumably made by Samsung this year and not BOE. Missing anything there? I was going to say, we know the resolution and we now know the menu or think we know the manufacturer, but we don't know the brightness of the screen. And I'd argue the brightness of the screen is almost more important than anything else about it because it it's already a relatively decent resolution. I need the Pixel Watch screen to be brighter than it was. Mm. My gut just says it won't be, but like, oh, I'm who, no, who I, knows? I'm, a, like... I'm 95% <laughs> certain it won't be. Because Google just feels like a generation and a half behind Samsung at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, this is every year. Anytime Google has a, a first-gen product, we're like, it's a first-gen Pixel. Pr-. And, like, I think this is what people wanted the first-gen Pixel Watch to be, which is just, like, a modern processor and, like, probably a better display, at, at least in quality level. And it's just, like, the Pixel Watch we released last year was, like, something we started making five years ago, and we just had to release it. Now here's the one you might actually want to use every day. Please, for the love of God, Google, you better have good trade-ins from the original Pixel Watch to the Pixel Watch 2. Oh, I know they won't, but they should. Because if you convinced people to buy a beta product, they deserve to be rewarded whenever they upgrade to the next one after suffering through a year of the uh, original Pixel Watch. I mean, I think the answer is that people should stop buying first-gen Pixel products. I'm back on the Pixel Fold so that I can do a, a bump to our review and just kind of swapping back to it. Like, I already didn't particularly like this phone. You can go, we've, we've done plenty of coverage on it, but it, boy, going back from the Z Fold 5 to this just like really does not hold it in a strong light. Like, I, I just don't think it is nearly the quality level that it needs to be to be priced the same dollar amount as the Z Fold 5. Do you like the fold any more than you did when you first reviewed it? No. I, so I, I, I did listen to, to last week's episode with Steven, and I, I know you said that I, I probably overscored it. You would have given it closer to a 7.5. No, no. I, I mean, sorry. I mean the, the Oh, the, the Pixel, Pixel fold. fold. Okay. I was going to say the Z Fold 5, I still feel like relatively positive on. The, the Pixel Fold, like, no, like, I don't know. It, it um, you know, I finally have learned my lesson and have given up on trying to use split keyboards. So like that helps a little bit. Like it's a little more comfortable to type on, on the inner screen. I st- you still have to turn it 90 degrees. I'm not going to type on it landscape. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is like, it is too heavy. Like I don't like holding it for, for longer than 10 minutes at a time, which is a problem. That's enough. I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, if you can't comfortably hold the thing, like what's the point? It is obviously easier to hold open in two hands because you have two hands supporting it. But it's that big outer screen wants you to use it, right? Like, that's the whole thing with this phone is it's kind of the opposite of the Z Fold 5, where it's like Samsung wants you to open it and Google kind of wants you to to only open it when you need it. But, like, it just digs into your pinky. Like, your pinky, in one hand, you kind of use your pinky finger to support it, and it just digs into it after a while, and it it doesn't feel good. So I'll write more about it on the site next week. But, uh, yeah, first-gen pixel hardware it's just never really there Uh, even when they do like big shifts like i feel like 
you could argue the Pixel 6 was kind of a first gen product almost because it was like the first Tensor phone or whatever, right? And like you saw the big, not that the Pixel 7 series is perfect, but like it is a big jump up in quality, I would say, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. So, yeah, Pixel Watch 2, I think Google eating its word. I mean, it never really claimed that it would put a Tensor in the watch, but I think acknowledging that the limitations of Exynos were while not quite impeding ability for the phone to do what Google needs it to do. I think it was obvious that the Exynos chip in the watch was impeding what Google wanted it to be able to do, especially from a battery life perspective. So this should be just by virtue of having the Qualcomm chip a big upgrade, right? The next thing that's interesting is Wear OS 4, right? So Wear OS 4, we don't really know much about it except for what we've seen on the Galaxy Watch 6, which based on Android 13, does not seem like a massive overhaul. But who knows, right? Google hasn't really said much about it yet. Yeah, and it'll have that experience that Samsung phone or watches. It's so like one UI is is kind of hiding anything there. It'll be kind of the same with Google where it's like, oh, what did they design for this generation of watch? I mean, we've seen some of those fresh watch faces and stuff like that. But I'd love to see, I don't know, a deeper integration with Fitbit, maybe like kind of actually making it so that it can compete with what Samsung Health or Apple Fitness. What does Apple call it? Yeah, Apple Fitness. Just Fitness, right? Yeah. What Apple Fitness is doing, like stuff like that. Like they have the the infrastructure there. I I don't know. Like I I feel like they kind of half-assed it last year. So I'd love to see stuff like that. But again, that's like on top of Android or of Wear OS four, like I, in terms of like system level stuff, I'm not sure it, it, it matters quite as much. Yeah. I mean, it's, we do know a little bit about Wear OS 4, right? We know the improved Fitbit support, as you said, we know that there's just an overhauled watch face system, which will make it a lot easier to produce really good custom watch faces, but we don't really know what it's going to look like on the pixel watch because what Google puts out as a developer preview is not necessarily what ends up in the final product. Right. Especially because... Especially these days. Especially because Google and Samsung are co-creating Wear OS now, whereas Google makes Android still and then disseminates it to all the OEMs. For Wear OS 4, I'm trying to remember if it's Wear OS 4 or if it was specifically a Samsung thing for being able to change what phone the watch is paired with without having to reset literally everything. I think I still that's need a to Wear test OS 4 on- thing. Okay, because I still need to test that on the Watch 6 mostly because I've been reviewing the watch and didn't want to hassle with potentially having to set the whole thing up again if the system isn't there or isn't working properly yet. But I definitely want to try it because as somebody who hops phones semi-regularly, it's a feature that's going to be very, very useful. But also, if you're able to move between phones without having to factory reset the watch, ideally that means that at some point it can be a matter of, okay, I have... Hopefully I can have it paired to a watch and to a tablet and have it just gravitate between the two as I use them, notifications-wise. Like watch multipoint? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that never really worked. That technology, having the device trying to guess which one you're using at any given time is, is always a recipe for disaster. Well, even if it's just for like, I'll take notifications from both devices on the watch at the same time. For headphones and multipoint, yeah, it's always going to be a little bit of a sticky wicket to figure out, okay, which one takes priority? But for things like the notifications or whatnot, or where I'm getting my Wi-Fi, either one works. You want your watch to buzz twice for every message that you have like, <laughs> incoming? That sounds like hell. Uh, I think it's, well, mostly because I, I wouldn't be using it with an Android tablet. I'd be using it with a Chrome tablet, so I wouldn't get notified for oh, all of my messages. You want it paired with a tablet, okay. Yeah. I was just picturing two phones no. and I was like, no, no. that sounds terrible. <laughs> no, it still sounds bad, but it, it, a little. Ara likes to make her life difficult. Apparently, I do, that's what I learned. But more importantly, I mean, <laughs> but I also just like being able to like, oh, I'm getting all my notifications and then I can just swipe them all away. Go away, go away, go away. I don't sure. have to open the shade. I don't have to open. I don't have to unlock the tablet again or get out of whatever app or game that I'm currently in. Yeah. But yes, I, I, I do welcomely admit that I do like things that make my life more difficult. So, yes, the backup and restore feature is coming to Wear OS 4. 
Uh, we also know something called Watch Unlock. That was also teased earlier this year. And now we know a little bit more details. Thanks to a friend of the show, Michelle Raman. So that is not going to be a Pixel Watch exclusive. Apparently, according to his reporting, it will be available to all Wear OS 4 devices, including the Watch 6 series, although not necessarily older generations of hardware. So anything that's released this year. But that's very similar to what you find on the iPhone and, and Mac line, whereas you, if you have an Apple Watch, you can use that as an active biometric. So if you have your watch on your wrist and you've inputted your four-digit pin or whatever biometric you set on the watch, as long as that watch does not leave your wrist, you can use that to sign into other things. Unlock your phone when your hands are wet or whatever. Unlock your Mac if you don't want to have to enter your pin. Now, this is coming to Android. And presumably it will have a very similar workflow, but I think overall, this is just a, like, this has been a long time. It has. I really do like this. Um, it works incredibly well on the iPhone and and Mac and like, except for the occasional time where you lose a Bluetooth connection between the two of them, like it's pretty reliable. I mean, so long as I still have my trusted Bluetooth devices through Smart Locker, Trusted Unlock, or whatever we've renamed that feature to, so long as I had that, this is just icing. This is for people who haven't, who didn't know that that feature exists or haven't set that feature up. But yeah, anything that makes your phone easier to unlock so long as you have your stuff with you is gold. It's not, it's also often that I need the feature, but it is one of those conveniences that saves a second or two here and there. And it really just makes you feel like that ecosystem that all of these companies yes. talk about is actually for something. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Google, I think, has done a good job sort of using leveraging play services to bring Android devices closer together. I, I think of like QuickPair or the new ability for you to transfer your information from one phone to another when you first get it. That works really well. And these are things that have only happened recently in the last couple of years. Nearby share, the ability to push your earbuds from one device to another if it supports that seamlessly. These are all little things that Apple has had in some form for many years. And Google, instead of doing it just for pixels, I think felt like, okay, well, we have the option here of adding it to AOS E and then, you know, letting the OEMs create their own version of this and having it be super clunky or giving it just to Pixel devices. But they did, I think, the right thing of adding it to Play Services, making it available to as many products as they could without it like compromising the experience. Okay, let's keep moving. So you reviewed the Watch 6. I want to talk about that a Mm -hmm. little bit. You know, you called it bright but never bold. And I think that's a really good summation of this iterative product. You know, in 30 seconds, you gave it a 9 out of 10, right? Which is... I would say an extremely good rating for a product that is mm-hmm. at the end of its sort of maturity arc. Yeah. Like you cannot release a watch seven with this little innovation. Oh, watch, in my watch them. Estimation. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, a challenge. Someone, someone clip this and save it for next yes, year. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, although I really am hoping that for next year um, that we diverge into having, like we have the classic for the big one. And then I want them to resurrect the Galaxy Watch Active styling for the small one. Because that's the only way that you get this to fit on any smaller of a wrist. Like Samsung's design on the Watch 4, 5, and 6 has been okay. But at the same time, it also means that I can only do the 40 millimeter Galaxy Watch because the end of the lugs goes to the edges of my wrist and or a little bit over. So that means that I can't use any of the bands that have the sculpted interior edges because then I just have these ridiculous gaps on the side of my wrist. And it also just means that the watch just looks chunky no matter what I do, unless I'm using a straight-ended band and I have it cranked as tight as I can go. Although I will say, I have been loving the fabric strap for the 6. I don't know if every reviewer got it, but the sand one was in mine, and I loved it so much I actually paid my own money to buy the purple one. And 
I feel better buying like novelty straps for the Watch 6 because it's a standard 20 millimeter smartwatch strap as opposed to the Pixel where you'll spend $200 for that metal band and never be able to use it on anything else ever again. Yeah, I I have that metal band, by the way. They did send it to me a month or two ago. I don't really remember. And I'm not a metal band person. It's fine as far as it goes. But like, God, I cannot imagine paying $200 for it, especially because like I would not be surprised if this generation has the same fittings or whatever but because it is proprietary like google will swap that design and that band will be useless one day and i bet it does not take more than a couple of years for them to do it it's a problem yeah i think we also just need to acknowledge that accessory price creep is a thing oh yeah oh yeah like this fabric band is 50 dollars, and that's yeah. insane and, and it has no business being 50 dollars. it should have been 30 yeah it's it's just like you're already spending 300 dollars for the thing it's already more expensive than the previous version. And yes, the bands are great. The quick release mechanism is is fantastic. Yeah, no, that button needs to be standard. Like every third party watch strap maker should be going at that and going, OK, we can we can do that because it's easy. It means that your pins won't fall out of the band willy nilly. And it also just from an accessibility point of view, it makes it so much easier to use these products for people who have like fine motor control issues or even just people with arthritis who trying to do anything that small is just going to lead to inordinate joint pain or just mm-hmm. people with big fingers like me yeah. when i switched the band on my watch 5 pro oh, two weeks ago and it took me like 15 minutes yeah no because i couldn't get it to work i could like i was just fumbling get the, yeah. little, the little uh ball from the spring bar where you're supposed to pull it back it'll just dig into the bed of your fingernail and just like yeah it sucked yeah. Yeah. yeah, so this is better and this should be, this needs to be everywhere. Yeah, I agree. I, I want to say I was scrolling through your review and, and like right as you mentioned that like you have the fabric band basically pulled as tight as you can. And yeah, there's a photo where you can see that it like double wraps around itself like yeah. almost to the, yeah, it's it's the, the uh, first photo under software and performance and it's like, yep, there it is. There's the band. Yeah, and I have the small medium one. Like they didn't send me the medium large. Uh, and I'm also kind of bummed about that because the, the blue watch strap was only available in medium large and the purple was only available in small medium. But I have to worry oh, about that this. Sucks. Don't do limited colors yes. and, and sizes. That sucks. Don't. Although yeah. that also like fabric will wear out over time. And I already have this basically as tight as it can go. So part of me is worried long. And I'm going to be wearing this uh, purple strap long term. Uh, but part of me wonders if, if it wears out over time, does that mean that I'm going to have to go like is the end of this watch going to be like at the edges of my screen or possibly like flopping down into the screen once I get to a certain point? Because that's not cool. Just buy another $50 fabric band. Easy. Yeah. (laughs) Have one for morning and have one for evening. There you go. I'm going to keep the white for like, I don't know, special occasion type stuff. But I just felt like the white was good. Sorry, it's called sand, but it's like a really, really light cream. But I. Whatever it yeah. came in the box, I was just like, oh, That'll you're going to get, gonna get dirty so fast. Yeah, sweat, like, especially because, like, they really pushed the fabric bands for when when I was talking to them in New York in July. They were like, yeah, it's great for, like, sleeping. It's great for working out. And it's like, yeah, it's going to get the white one. is going to get so dirty so quick from the. I think that's like, part of why during the pre-order period, unless you bought your watch at Best Buy, the only fabric band you could get was the black band. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. that. Yeah, Samsung would only give you the black one. Amazon would only give you the black one. I think the only reason Best Buy gave you any choice at all was because you had to, uh, it didn't come pre-bundled by the retailer. You had to add both items to your cart individually. But yeah, the sand one, the sand one looks pretty. It made for good review photos. I don't trust it to stay clean long term, which was the other reason I was willing to spend $50 on a second band. So, it, I mean, it's probably a good idea to have two or maybe five or a dozen bands I because mean, today... As we're listening to this, a bunch of press has gone out based on a June report from the Scientific Research Journal, which talked about the prevalence and disinfection of bacteria associated with various types of wristbands. And the TLDR there is that like most smartwatch bands that are fabric or anything that's not easy to clean and resists bacteria is just a breeding ground for bacteria. So all of these fitness focused smartwatch bands that Apple sells and Samsung sells and Fitbit sell will inevitably have streptococcus, which can lead to staph infections. Some of the research found E. coli, which not great. There are 
countless other bacteria that can make you sick. Now, obviously, these are easy to clean. Metal bands obviously have leps because metal does not attract as much bacteria as fabric. Plastic ones are a little bit less than, than cloth. But yeah, rubber, plastic, cloth, they all had very high levels of bacteria. And then leather actually had quite oh, a bit too. Oh, leather is the worst because leather will just straight up absorb it and ha- hold on to it forever. Like that's what leather does. <laughs> it's true, but most people are not dumb enough to use leather bands when they're working out. So I feel like it's probably just like it's self-mediating in that sense. It is. And I thank you for reminding me. I need to go throw some of my more popular bands because I have like 12 or 15 of the silicone bands that I swap out on my watch on a semi-regular basis. But I, I need to go throw them, all, uh, cycle them all through the phone soap once. So I want to end on the quick topic of, of Wear OS 2 devices. I'm announcing today that they are not, sorry, the watches themselves are not announcing this. That would be unfortunate. Yeah. It's like, hey guys, I'm there sorry. I'm losing, I'm losing of, a system oh, yeah, tomorrow. Oh, system doesn't work on this watch anymore. It's not you. It's, it's us. Yeah. So Wear OS uh, 2 watches uh, will no longer support Google Assistant. This is coming in a software update, even though... It took forever for Wear OS 3 devices to get assistant, and even some still don't have it. They are killing the feature entirely on Wear OS 2. I think it's not really surprising. It isn't surprising at all. It's just unfortunate. Given the fact that it didn't really work very well. Yeah. It's also one of those things that I'm like, okay, there comes a point where if you've owned these devices and you've used these devices for X amount of well, just if you've owned them and if you've used them, at some point there needs to be some kind of like, okay. Your watch has been depreciated. Here's a gift certificate or here's a give it back to us for recycling. Here's a voucher that you can go use on a new uh, Pixel Watch, Galaxy Watch, what have you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really into that like companies treating their customers with respect thing. Like that just isn't <laughs> what's going to happen. It's a golden rule, man. I want others to treat me the way that I want to treat them. And I believe that everybody should get a discount if they put up with inferior hardware and software for years. Agreed. But I think that the market should deal with itself. And if companies like Google don't actually make good, they will lose their customers and people will inevitably move over to another brand. I mean, look how many customers Apple has stolen over the years. There was a new report this week, right? I'm trying to find it now, but I think like yesterday there was like another smartphone adoption rate thing that was like, yeah, like Apple grabbed another Mm -hmm. like whatever percentage of, of Android users. like Yeah, and it's not hard yeah. to, un- to understand why, especially in the US when you have an Apple store at every mall. You can walk in and, and most of the time you can get your stuff prepared for free or if not for free, then for, you know, fairly, I'm not excusing the high cost of replacing some parts. It's still way too expensive to get your screen replaced at an Apple store, for instance. But the batteries are now 30 bucks because Apple got sued and people complained about their batteries not lasting long enough. So they did the right thing. A lot of this is unfortunately the result of litigation, right? Apple is actually sending money to people this week. It was for that exact thing. The class action lawsuit around battery gate. They're now getting payouts this week, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So they're getting $500 million in a battery gate lawsuit. So some people are getting between 50 and $65 for their trouble, which is uh, not not bad. It's the cost of two replacement. I mean, you walk into an Apple store today, you get your battery replaced for $30. I think that's more now for the newer phones. It's, I think, 40 bucks, but still not a bad settlement if you were affected by battery gate. But yeah, I, 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 it's not surprising to me is what I'm saying that people are moving over to Apple given the infrastructure. And Samsung is not doing itself any favors. You know, you... You keep hearing about the issues that people have getting replacement parts for their foldables and how even four years after the release of the Z Fold series, like it's still really hard to get cheap replacement parts for foldable phones, which makes sense given how complex they are. But Samsung has also attempted to build up the same infrastructure of retail availability and like it's just not, it's not there yet. Anyway, let's talk about some of these other Google announcements. Earlier this week, a report from the information said that Google's new large language model, Salvo, which is called Gemini, uh, it'll be a combined product of Google Brain and DeepMind, the two previously disparate parts of the company coming together 
to create this. And uh, it's going to go beyond Bard, right? This is not just text. It's, it's everything, right? It's going to impact video. It's going to impact images. You'll be able to communicate with voice. Yeah. God, it's, this is so difficult to break down. It's so complicated. Um, yeah. So like you say, this is supposed to leap past chat GPT to combine essentially like text as well as images, as well as video, as well as, as an example, our coverage of it calls out, like you could feed it a flow chart and it would like analyze the flow chart for, you know, to break it down or whatever. But, um, I mean, stop me if either of you completely disagree with me, but like, obviously AI powered tools have a lot of space to grow, I suppose. And having multiple AI tools with different machine learning capabilities behind them is it makes sense to me. But like, does this not feel like a little bit like Google just doing what Google does all the time and like throwing everything at the wall and making like eight competing products yeah, at a certain and point then where it'll you're like slowly kill and reabsorb the ones that don't work? Yeah. I mean, Daniel, I feel like you've been more tied into the AI stuff than I have been. Like, do you get this feeling or do you think that this is just kind of how the process works, especially with AI stuff where it's like, well, no, you need different teams working on different things because all these tools are capable of accomplishing different stuff depending on what you need it to do. Yeah, I, I think what happened is that Google had various parts of the company, both within Google and kind of within Alphabet separate from Google working on AI related projects. And with the combination of Google Brain and DeepMind, they amalgamated a whole bunch of existing projects, but there were likely some that were 50% done, some that were 75% done. And their project managers were just like, look, let's just continue them to completion and then evaluate whether they have the ability to stand on their own or be absorbed into things like Lambda 2 and, and you know, whatever next version of, of these large language models Google will inevitably work on. I find it interesting that given Bard's very limited ability to absorb non-text information, that Gemini is really emphasizing that text is just like a given, right? It's table stakes at this point. We've ingested all of the text of the internet into these existing large language models. They can now do incredible things with text the future version of whatever Bard looks like. And when we think about Bard, we think about the end product, right? Bard is what utilizes all the large language models that Google has built on, over the last few years. And I think with something like Gemini, it's basically saying we have YouTube, we have Google Docs, like we have all this other data to help train other types of LLMs. And the inevitable next step here is just to make it multimodal in a way that the internet right now is multimodal. If you think about how you interact with your phone or your browser in a given day, it's like you're reading a lot of text, but you're also clicking on a lot of pictures. You're also procrastinating on YouTube and then going and scrolling on your phone through Instagram. And like you spend some time on a Reddit subreddit or a forum. And like, there's just a lot of different data that doesn't talk to one another. And I think Google of all the companies in the world has the largest potential to be able to feed all of that into one large language model and have it understand how to spit out an output in any one of those modes that takes all of the other data into account. That's kind of interesting to me. Who is Gemini for, I guess, is, is my Like, who are all of these tools for is what I'm starting to wonder, because it's like, my mom knows what chat GPT is, for example, but is this more aimed at like enterprise uses or like at a certain point, are there so many AI tools out there that are flooding the market, like big and small names alike that like people just go like, I, I can't, I can't even focus on this anymore. I'm turning my brain off. Like it, it's, you know, it's actually too much. I just, I know chat GPT exists. If I need a chat bottle, I'll, I'll turn to that as opposed to even if Gemini is much more powerful than than anything chat gpt is capable of at the moment like i wonder if it's destined to become a thing that like tech-minded people will use but like most people will be like oh yeah like it's built into this app that i use i i use it there sometimes and like well, that's it that's probably the main goal is like this is a thing of oh you can use it on its own but it can also power more specific or more specialized AI tools to where you have a broader language base, you have a broader 
you have a better base to work on and then you can build on top of that to offer better experiences overall. So that's what I think the end goal there is, especially for like commercial or um, at the very least tools that will have some kind of uh, monetary subscription to them as something of a, okay, we pay for Gemini, we make this tool, we make money by selling it and getting more money. And remember, Google announced Palm at or Palm 2 at Google I.O. this year, and they divided it into sizes, right? So there's like the enterprise size Palm, and then there's going all the way down to the small, self-contained, offline-capable Palm that can live on your phone and still do a whole lot of really cool things on it. And Google increasingly, I think, is building up these products to be scalable in a way that no other company can really do that. And again, like nobody's going to know what Gemini is. Nobody needs to know what the Lambda was or Palm is. They just need to know that it's going to power whatever Google calls its AI tools. Obviously, ChatGPT has the mind share. I think Microsoft is way ahead of Google in, all, in terms of mind share as well with Bing AI, with Copilot, right? Copilot is going to be an integral part of Windows. You're not going to be able to avoid it. Whereas with Google, I think it's going to nudge you into using its AI tools until you just give in. And that's the way that Google has always done the iterative evolution of adding features to its free tools, right? Like you didn't want Google Meet inside Gmail, and then you just realized that it was there, and then you just started using well, it, and then you're like, I don't remember a time before... Actually, that's a, that's a bad nice example because everybody still hates that. I was like, no, that. I just put up with the fact. I just visually ignore it. My eyes just glaze like, past it, it when I'm checking it, my email. it's kind of like Inbox where you had the smarter notifications and the bundling and whatnot. And it was one of those things. Maybe I was thinking of Google Chat, right? Remember Google Chat gets sure. integrated yeah. into Gmail? Oh, yeah. sure. And then you just realize like, and you're like, wait, why am I talking to people in Gmail? I've been doing this for a year now. And I didn't even realize I was using Google Chat app until inevitably they shut it down. But that's when I started using <laughs> right. Google chat because I was like, wait, all of my, like my wife's name is like shows up suddenly on the left side of my screen because I email her a lot. It's like, why don't you, why don't you send her a message? And I'm like, why don't <laughs> I send her wife. a message? Call your mother. And then I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's like, this is exactly why Gemini exists. It's like, call your mother. It creates a, creates an image about yelling at you to call your mother <laughs> it creates a podcast yelling at you to call your mother like every possible way it could it could neg you into calling your mother it's gonna do that everything everything ends like this is my other problem with google besides the fact that it gets so difficult and like again with the ai stuff it's like yes like it does need to have like a bunch of these in development because they're eventually all going to feed into other products. My problem right now is that I don't trust any of those products to make it past a couple years. I mean, you guys, you guys, both, both of your, the examples used were like meet in Gmail, which like might as well just not exist. I don't use it there. It's if, you know, and we, and we like at Android police, we use meet like every week, right. For multiple meetings a week. Like if, if I have a meeting, it's in meet it, you know what I do? I open calendar and I click on the appointment that's on my calendar for the day. Am I the I, only I never... person who opens the actual Google Meet site just to see all of my Meet links and then just click the one? It's just fat. Well, because Meet defaults to my personal email, so it's faster. But for I mean, me to like, open let's 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 talk. That's uh, that's actually even a, a better example, right? Over the pandemic, Google sure. iterated on Calendar. That's true. To add Meet support and seamlessly overnight, every time you made a calendar, it started adding a Meet link, whether you needed it or not. And countless people started using it, whether they realized it or not, right? It was a Zoom competitor that just worked in the browser. It was garbage. I mean, you remember back in 2020, it was garbage. Google Meet did not get good until like 2021. And yet we now use it without remembering those bad times. And Zoom itself is now changing its terms of service to ask people whether they're okay using that footage to train AI language models and put itself into massive hot water this week for that reason. Slack is becoming more like Microsoft Teams, right? So everything is just becoming another thing because it's a bit more popular. It's because these companies are all owned by enormous corporations and are looking to monetize whatever they can. And I think the AI goldmine here is that 
you will spend more time with these products because you're going to do less work and just more text input, right? I'm creating a, a Google slide. The best web-based slideshow tool that will allow me to create like a beautiful backdrop and a chart and synthesize my data just by typing in a text box. It doesn't matter if it's Google. It doesn't matter if it's Microsoft. It doesn't matter if it's something else, right? It's whatever company is going to have the easiest way to get around all this busy work is going to win here. And that's why Google's investing in all this multimodal LLM stuff, because it needs to integrate it into docs, into sheets, into slides, into whatever it's, hap- whatever it's coming out with next. I guess my question then does become, is this going to be a, a meat situation or is this going to be inbox, right? Like both of those tools are good. Like I like Google Meet. I, anytime I get a briefing invite from a company and they're using Zoom or God forbid Teams, I'm like, this is like noticeably worse in like every way. Yeah, Teams is terrible. Teams is so bad. It's like crazy how bad Teams is. And Inbox was the same way, right? Like, like I can't say Inbox without Ara going on a five-minute rant. I've been about... very purposely not <laughs> speaking for the last five minutes. Yeah. Mm. But like, but like Inbox was great. I'm with you. I used Inbox until the day it ended. Like it, it I loved but the it. Ending it, it is like, the point. Like that's part of the thing right. where it's like, I don't want I don't want all these AI models to necessarily be like inbox where, okay, we made the thing, we made it smarter, we used it to make other services smarter. And then when we take it away, there's not gonna be a one-to-one replacement for it. My Gmail notifications for my personal email account have never recovered from the removal of inbox. Ever. I've given up on email. I look for what's new. And then, like, if I don't need it, it just sits. I, I, inbox zero. That dream is dead. I open what I need, and I don't touch anything else. I'm like, it's done. It, the dream is dead. The only way I achieve inbox zero is with a week of off time. All of the ever, the extended edition of every movie I have ever loved. And oh no, like you, a just, case you just you just select all, <laughs> select all archive done. Brush your hands. You're done. That's that's what you do. But it's like, no, I like everything. most important stuff gets filtered into my updates tab and I look at it and I go, I need that. And, uh, and that's it. And then, and then everything else I just don't touch. It's a mess. I mean, I'm, I'm actually impressed that you even attempt to curate your email in any form. Like I just miss a lot of email. I use the inbox tabs in my personal email. I use the inbox tabs in my work email. And inbox zero is a dream. But for me, it's also a matter of like basically nothing notifies as a priority notification on Gmail on my personal account, because the years that it spent forming all of that stuff was an inbox. And then none of that transferred back over to Gmail. But I mean, that that was like six years ago now. Oh, I know. And I will keep complaining about it. (laughs) They said that stuff was going to make it over and it never never did. did. I get I get why like I, I gave up on being mad about it, but I absolutely understand why. Ara would be like, where did this stuff go? You had it. That's it does kill me. It's like you had it. It was working. <laughs> like, yeah, you had Google Reader too. And now right, you don't. Sure. Like, come fair. on, get over it. <laughs> I'm it's over it. I'm over it. But it's just You're it's, not you don't sound over it well. I'm you over don't. it. My point is just that like it is hard for me to get excited about anything Google is doing, specifically Google and AI, because I am sure they're going to build an application out of it that I go. Wow, how did I ever do whatever chore without this? this? And then it's going to die. And then two years later, they're going to be like, yeah, only like 300,000 people worldwide used it. So we're shutting it down. And I'm going to go, well, that sucks. Uh, And they're going to go, don't worry, though. We collected all the data we needed off you. And that'll be that. Like, I, I just like, it's hard for me to get excited about new. I mean, God, what this week was the seventh anniversary of Duo. Mm hmm. Shout out to du- where's Duo right now? <laughs> like it's just it's it's, it's been rebranded. Hopping as- along just fine. Yeah. Sure, it's just meat. Yeah, it literally <laughs> it's is just, just meat. meat. But like like except except when it's old meat, like yeah, it's like the Impossible Burger shares. It's just like <laughs> old meat, just like rotting away, just not having a, a fun time at it. I don't know. I I convinced like two people to sign up for Allo. So at this point, like. uh Google owes R. me R.I.P. Man, no, like that, that that's, that's what needed to get integrated into Gmail. Yes. 
Google chat. <laughs> I think it was, wasn't it? Didn't they put it in there yeah. for a bit? Yes. <laughs> I don't they know. Did. Maybe they did. They absolutely did. They put it, they'll put anything in Gmail. They'll put anything in I'm surprised YouTube isn't in Gmail. <laughs> don't, don't, don't put that in their head. <laughs> because then I will actually live in the email app. <laughs> I remember the day that when they announced Duo and Allo on the same day. To think that it would be Duo that survived. I know. When everybody was hot on messaging apps at the time, like you wouldn't have been able to pay me to make that decision. Like I was like, nope, I'm, I'm all in on Allo. Like Google's finally figured out messaging. <laughs> and then three years later, it's like, what? What did what? we had something called Allo? Like, no, <laughs> no you're we, lying. Yeah, yeah like, Google just well, got like gaslighting everybody. Allo would have been fine if they had just on all of those features as upgrade to messages because like having this i mean that's what they're doing ara yeah that's exactly what they did and they then like messages is great except that apple doesn't give a shit i was gonna well yeah right and it needed it needed in the u.s if you want to at this point and even when did Apple launch 2015 2016 i guess i could do the math on duo yeah i understand that everywhere else it's just usernames and no one knows their phone number and you never have to know your phone number but like in the u.s like it needed phone number support because that's what that's what Apple yep. uses. Like if you don't have an iPhone, it, it's what Apple uses if you do have an iPhone. And the fact that yep. it didn't have that. And so like, that's why, that's why RCS worked is because it's like, okay, well, like it's the same app regardless of whether I'm texting you. It's just that if you have an Android phone and I have an Android phone, we're going to have a good experience together. And, and that's the exact thing that iMessage is like. Well, uh, I think the bigger problem for Allo was like, couldn't you only have it active on like, a one device at a time. I don't remember. Yeah, it was the Probably. same limitation as WhatsApp. Yeah, it was phone yeah. number based. It was. I mean, look, that's fine. Like, it took WhatsApp until 2023 to allow you to have it on multiple phones. Like, Google was not exactly behind the times then. Like, limiting you to a phone number. It was a. It was perceived as a secure way to authenticate your device. Right. Like, that's it. Everybody has a phone number. Now we know that's not a great way to do it. Now we know that it had limitations. Now we know that. But at the same time, like. WhatsApp was built around phone numbers so that it could ensure one-to-one encryption. It just makes sense. I I guess I should be clear when I'm saying phone number before anyone yells at me. I mean, like it's using your phone number to like as an identification and like it has SMS fallback. Like my point is that Allo was a separate app. It was just never going to work. Like in the U.S. at this point, you basically there's so many. I mean, even in 2016, so many iPhone users that like you need the ability to be like, Will the app will work if I'm texting someone that isn't on the app, right? And it's if the answer is no, then it's probably not going to catch on in the U.S. Yeah, that's true. Not dissimilar to like any other messaging app. You still need to have that app to receive the number. But like at least getting like a text message to be like, hey, join me on Allo. Like be, be like, who, who is spamming me? Like ban this number. <laughs> yeah, report, like, delete, block. Yeah, it's like you, you like call your friend. Like, I think your phone got hacked. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm just trying to get you to add me to this new Google chat app. I'm like, no, I'm banning you anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're off. not friends anymore. Yeah. All right. We've talked too much about this already. Let's go through the other things that Google's done this week that have pissed people off. <laughs> uh, Google is desperate to sell Pixel tablets. So it's pushing ads through notifications. I mean, this does not surprise me, right? But like, still not a great look. Well, it's doing it so through people the Google have been getting, Home app, right? Yeah, fair. But still, like, I don't know. It's, it doesn't matter how it gets to you. If you're a Google Home user, you're probably, like, lots of people are Google Home users. And did either of you get this notification? Yeah, I got I it, didn't. like, two or I three different times. But I mean, the Pixel tablet was also one of those things of, they hiked the home integration of it in the, like, smart display for your house rather than just like a standalone tablet even though that function of it isn't as good mm-hmm. but i mean i'm also somebody who i my primary phone is the galaxy s23 so i got three or four push notifications around the galaxy z fold 5 launch and i think i got one for both didn't phones. samsung promise to stop doing that is it are you getting it from the from like their store app or whatever uh, i thought i had turned that off but i know that i've gotten at least one of them it's an app. I say it's an app. It's a it's a fucking link in the app drawer that yeah. goes to a web it's browser. Not, it yeah. literally opens not a real the website. I, but it's it still annoys me every time I see it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I have advice for Google if they want to sell more Pixel tablets. Make it better and cheaper. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's free. And like full stop. 
True story. I mean, it's a good tablet. It's certainly it, not yeah, no, great. But the issue is that like, it's five hundred dollars, and the reason it's five hundred dollars is it comes with a dock that is a is a good that idea is that is poorly executed. Yeah, mm-hmm. was a good idea. Yeah, until it got released. All right. Next thing, Google's new transparency center has big dopey evil energy. I mean, this title. This title is great. Thank you. Um, I came. I have no idea. I, I, I will be completely honest. I have no idea what it is. So tell me what exactly this is, Will. Yeah, the, like it, it's a little boring when you explain it, but like I, I think don't be evil. Energy is kind of the the best way to describe it. It's basically. I mean, like, it was also just a. It's just also a good play on words. Thank you. It uh, it it kind of ties together like policies for their apps or like personal data privacy information or like i mean we're talking about ai they're they're ai principles or whatever like you can basically go here and learn all about specific policies across your google apps whatever you're using whether it's chrome or photos or whatever like you can go into one space and be like (laughs) what is this company scraping on me but like you can learn about it it is probably uh, the closest they've come back to that don't be evil motto in in a while. So it's uh, if they're gonna if they're gonna scrape data on you, it's good to at least have an easy way to to figure out what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's it, right? Google has done one thing fairly well over the last few years is that when it's taking, you know, when it's when it's using your data for its purposes, it's pretty good about disclosing it. Well, I think they've just been sued enough times that they're like, okay, yeah, we've here's our cover our ass stuff. <laughs> well, it's also. EU, right? The yeah. EU has made this law and Google has built this infrastructure and is giving it to everybody. But it doesn't matter why. The end of the the end result is that it is much easier now to understand what information Google has on you. And this is a good next step in that. So especially as it starts, yeah, as you said, using some of your data to teach large language models how to like build bombs. Um you know, let's be very transparent about how we're actually using that data. All right. Finally, we'll talk about a new feature launching with Android 14. This is from Michal again. He reported for us that Google wants to reduce hearing loss with Android 14's latest safety feature. This is interesting. Uh, Google, or a lot this of phones nice, already but have. I think the implementation needs work. Yeah. So, uh, Ara, walk us through this because a lot of phones already have messages when you raise your volume above a certain decibel level and the thing for a lot of these is um especially like i know that samsung has it and then a couple of others do but you can artificially limit the level to which you can like raise the volume for your headphones or whatever but for this new version of android 14 it's going to be a oh if you listen to music over x decibels over 20 hours i want to say it's like 20 hours in a week or something then it gives you a notification saying, hey, you need to back this off or you're going to have tinnitus by the time you're 35 like me. But I think that instead of it being a X number of hours in like a week or a month, it needs to be X hours in a day or X hours in a particular session. Because telling somebody of, oh, you've hit your loud music limit for the week doesn't really help when it's Tuesday. It's trying to get people to understand of, oh, hey, you've been listening to this for X amount of time already if you don't lower the volume it's going to start impacting your hearing especially because like for the only reason i know this feature as well as i do is because i am somebody who yeah i tend to listen to music at loud volumes i used to use the volume limiter in uh on my phones all the time and i had to stop mostly because i wear my headphones when i'm at walt disney world and i will wear them in order to block out ride noise when i'm on certain roller coasters and whenever I would get on one of those roller coasters, I would listen above the safe hearing thing. And if I had that limiting engage, you can't go above it without going back into settings and turning the whole thing off. So if they had this as a like, oh, you can listen for X amount of time. If you listen to music above X decibels for like half an hour to an hour and then it gives you your first warning, that would be useful. So yes, notify over however many hours you've done it in a week, like make it a digital well-being thing of you listen to music above a safe hearing level for X amount of time this week. But definitely, I think it needs to be a little bit more in your face than just a, okay, here's one warning after 20 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a good first step. Yeah. Nobody's going to solve hearing loss. I think this is more, again, Google being conservative and trying to hit the broadest number of 
best practices in various regions where there are regulations around this thing, these things, especially in Europe, with one feature, but this is not good enough. And it's it's just weird. It's just weird that like, it, you know, obviously we know that there's science around net volume that leads to hearing loss, but also accumulative eye volume, right? There, there obviously does back it up. I don't know how effective this is going to be. I mean, I've never received that message on a Samsung phone that I'm listening to my music at volumes that it determines to be too loud and then just been like, oh yeah, this is the right volume and I'm not going to turn it up anymore. Like, I don't. You have to turn it on if you want it to not go above a certain volume, but the first time you raise your volume above, because uh, for Samsung's volume slider, there's a section of it that's blue and then there's a section of it that's red. So the first time you go into the red, it'll be a notification of, oh, hey, you're listening above safe volumes, but then that'll be it. Exactly. I mean, that's it. I've never, I've never listened to them. I probably have here. My, my hearing loss is not from my headphones. It's from my 10 years of going to concerts every, every week. But, uh, you know, that's, that's true for most people, I think. Yeah. All right. Last thing, Google's anti-ad blocking test gets even pushier with a new timer. So this is funny. I love this cat and mouse game that people are playing with YouTube's anti-ad blocking stuff. Like Google started implementing uh, a limit on ad blockers earlier this year. There's now a timer that will basically prevent you from watching content for a period of time before the message goes away. Ara, like what's the TLDR here? I, I find this increasing hostility against ad blockers to be quite funny. I understand what YouTube is doing here, and I understand that it's because they, they want you to pay for YouTube premium, which if you're going to watch YouTube for more than like 10 hours a week, premium probably pays for itself over the course of a month. But I understand it's also one of those things of YouTube has been free and ad supported for so long and the amount of server space and capacity that is required to keep the light just to keep the lights on for YouTube is ridiculously high. So I understand why people are like, oh no, this should be free forever for you. But YouTube's gotta make money. And if you're not gonna subscribe, then you you have to watch ads. That's the long and the short of it. Mm-hmm. So these pop-ups are between 30 and 60 seconds. We, we haven't gotten a definitive number. Google is not saying anything about them. It's just an experiment right now, et cetera, et cetera. But would not be surprised if this becomes fairly normal or normalized over the next few months as people just get annoyed enough. It's like with Netflix forcing people off of their friends and family's accounts. A lot of them are just signing up because it's the easier route than having to find a workaround. This is the easier route. You either disable your ad blocker for YouTube or you buy YouTube premium. Google's going to annoy you until you choose one of those options. Makes sense. I don't want to play devil's advocate too much here, but it's not that hard to hit the mute button on either your phone or your TV and then just unmute it after 30 or 60 seconds or whatever. Like the ads are not hard to get past, but I know I wouldn't go back to YouTube ads unless I absolutely have to, which is why I pay for YouTube premium. Yeah, YouTube premium, as frustrating as ads can be, especially on YouTube, I would say like they can they they can get grading like it $14 a month is only expensive that's like I mean, three I, bucks pricey, a coffee but like well like I'm not here to say it's that's ex, it's expensive right like if, if you pay annually it's $140 like I'm not here to say that that is cheap or whatever to to a lot of people that's a lot of money to which I say like I don't remember the last thing I watched on Netflix like I can tell you I've watched YouTube today like I've, I've pulled up a video today like I think people don't think of youtube in the same way that they think of hulu or disney plus or whatever i think people get hung up on a oh this is this is stuff that was uploaded by people for free so why should i pay to watch it to which i go the video is free well you don't have to yeah you is the other thing like you can sit through ads and and to be honest it's better you know if i cancel my netflix subscription right now which currently uh, we, we subscribed however many months ago back so we could watch there were a couple other things and we kept as we could watch i think you should leave and the reason i'm not canceling it right now is because i'm on their i'm on that 720p what ten dollar a month plan or whatever that they just scrapped and i have to make a decision soon of whether it's worth and and like i'm leaning towards it we, we're not using it right now i'm we're, we're, maddie and i are are, are deep into 
rewatching um lost which we can i cannot bring this oh. up now it will be, oh, it no. will be we are in we are 70 minutes into this recording and daniel and i will have a 20 minute argument about this so we i won't do it i can't i can't do this to my mental yeah, health no though. no right i know no i agree it's a really good show i'm glad no. we're on the same page oh jesus okay I will oh, we're the deep in we're, we're halfway through season five lost. we're in it it's you know what better than I remember anyway mm-hmm. this is what I mean we can't do this no. but my point is that we're not we're not really using like Netflix right now and like but, but my options will be like when I cancel it if I cancel it like if I go back I will either have to pay like 50 what is it fifteen forty nine a month or whatever for, for like ad free playback or eight dollars whatever they have with ads like at least YouTube gives you like Yes, it is user uploaded content, although I would argue that there is like plenty of entertainment to be had, like high quality entertainment to be had on YouTube. But like you have the option of like go watch it for free with ads. Like I think the pushback on YouTube finally cracking down on ad blockers is a little is a little silly. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean it's 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 a trickle, right? A lot of trickles lead to a river or whatever the term is right google's trying to monetize youtube it's trying to make it into a very profitable business it was not profitable for a decade finally is and now they're trying to eke out every possible dollar from any potential subscriber so this makes sense all right we're going to end the show talking about the Mimic fold three this is xiaomi's latest foldable it is thin it is light it is very big it's got a, a wider aspect ratio than the fold five it also has a hinge now that could stay at any degree, which last year's uh, Mimix Fold 2 could not. It has two telephoto lenses, including a periscope lens. So the camera, the camera quality is inevitably going to be better than the Fold 5. Like this is just a better phone than the Fold in every possible way, except for software, which obviously is a big deal, makes a big difference. Ben Sin in his hands-on with this said that Xiaomi is still not really optimizing the foldable experience the way that Samsung has, even for the Chinese market, right? This is not, not about like it being poorly adapted for North America, like the multitasking features, the overall app experience on the inside screen just isn't where Samsung's is yet. But I think from a hardware perspective, like Xiaomi, Honor, Huawei, they are running circles around Samsung. This is genuinely the hardware that I want a foldable to be. I mean, I mean, Ben's coverage has a photo of the Mix Fold. I'm going to I'm going to get the name so wrong. The Mix Fold 3 uh, next to the Z Fold 5. And it's like, that's the outer screen I want. It opens portrait. It, it looks comfortable. It's big, but it's not. Um, I mean, I don't know. It looks kind of like almost like the size of like an S23 Ultra, or maybe maybe a little smaller. But uh, when it's folded, obviously it's thin. It's only two grams heavier than the Z Fold 5, so it's essentially the same weight, and I have found the Z Fold 5's weight to mostly not really be an issue, so that's fine. The only thing I really don't like about the hardware is I don't, I'm not into the carbon fiber, but that is going to be, some people are going to like it, I don't know. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. I think it looks great. I've spent so long looking, like, writing about cases that I see carbon fiber and I instantly, like, recoil in horror. Get it away from me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, oh, go man. look at XDA's coverage of this. Ben has a side by side with the Fold 5 and the Pixel Fold on the homepage right now. I think it's gorgeous. I'd love for Xiaomi to release this in, in the West like they did with the Xiaomi 13 Pro. Uh, I used that as my daily driver for a while. The software did great a little over time, which is why I stopped using it, but it was. I mean, the camera on that thing is incredible, like amazing, the best camera I've ever used, like even better than the Find Find X6 Pro in in many ways. So this is what I want the Z Fold 6 to be. If this is the end of this specific design language with the Fold 5, like I want it to look like this. You look at the fronts of these devices next to each other and you're like, Samsung's looks ancient yes. it looks like it was designed five years ago yeah because it was and, <laughs> it kind of was but it, yeah exactly it kind of was you're yeah. right yeah no i i one ui i am hit or miss on but i i think one ui shines on foldables like specifically mm-hmm. like like i i think samsung has done a really good job optimizing android for foldables and that software experience crossed with this like general design language and and, and cameras and everything like that that's the dream foldable right there Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully. One day. One day. One day.
All right, that's it. We're going to leave it there. Everybody, uh, thank you so much for for joining us. Will, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. You too. Any big plans? My dad's here. I'm seeing old boy. (laughs) Very different plans. So Ara's seeing her dad and you're seeing an old man. do violent things yeah i was i'm seeing ara seeing her dad and i'm seeing a terrible dad i'm seeing a yeah. very well, bad dad. don't spoil i'm not i'm just i'm just tell. i'm just i'm not spoiling anything it's just true i just spoiled it's true it's, it's a very it, but it's, it's a very good movie the re-release is uh the 4k remasters in theaters but uh ara seeing I'm her dad excited. is probably more more fun yes i am showing him rain mm-hmm. after he's been stuck in texas with no rain since like the beginning of june oh god yeah it's been hot there it's been rum- it's been rumbling while we've been podcasting and i'm just going god i i, I really want that <laughs> nap thunder is the best sleep weather man well go take that nap enjoy your time with your dad will uh good luck Thank you. Um, I hope I hope <laughs> Lost does not end up disappointing you like it they inevitably were dead will. The whole I've seen time. the ending or whatever. Oh. <laughs> oh, terrible. All right, that's it. Thank you so much. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode. Until then, send your emails to podcastingunderpolice.com uh, to the people that just eviscerated me last week for my bad jokes. Uh, I'm not even sorry about it. So you're just going to have to deal with it. And uh, that's it. Hope you have a great week. We love you. We'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Lost is good. Shut up. (laughs) 